The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. After a stumble to start 2024, there's been a rotation to quality. The biggest tech stocks have continued their dominance. So what are the major roadblocks to that story this year? It's Monday, January 16th. Welcome to the Tech Check Podcast. I'm Deirdre Bosa with Mark Gilbert. Happy end of the long weekend. Yeah. Hey, good morning. Happy Monday. Uh, today on the pod, Margaret... Oh my God, I got it wrong. Tuesday. Short week. <laughs> We're already done with Tuesday. Today on the pod, uh, Margaret Vestager, infamous if you follow tech, uh, famous, I should say. She is the EU's antitrust commissioner for the European Commission. Uh, she really has made a name for herself uh, going after uh, big tech companies and, and antitrust issues. She came out to San Francisco, met with the CEOs of the biggest companies in Silicon Valley, Tim Cook, Sundar Pichai, Jensen Huang, and you guys, Dee sat down for an interview and talked. I always love talking to EVP Vestager. She's so smart on these topics. And unlike our regulators that come and go with each administration, she's been in her position for nearly a decade. So that gives her a lot of time to get things done. And like as we're on year nine, you can see the kind of concessions that she's won from big tech. You called her infamous at first. Infamous if you're a big tech company, <laughs> like yeah, an Apple or a Google or a Meta yeah, depending or Depending on which side of the equation you're on. And if you're like a smaller rival, you're probably fangirling over Marguerite Vestier because she has really held them accountable. So she was there well before Lena Khan at the FTC, well before Jonathan Cantor at the DOJ. They're seen as really tough regulators, but she's the original antitrust bulldog. And how we put it earlier on TV today is she's taken on big tech and she's actually got results, billions and billions of dollars in terms of fines. Um, she's even sort of won concessions from Apple in order for them to avoid the kind of fees that she's known for wrangling out of tech companies. And really, she has written the mega cap regulation playbook that has laid the groundwork here in America. Our regulators have been studying her for, her for years. Right. And she was in the Bay Area last week, had those meetings. And really, the, the focus of this was to make sure that they're getting ready to comply with the Digital Markets Act, which is uh, going to come into effect this year. She described it as a new era of regulation, a way to actually change and not just fine big tech practices in the future. So let's take a listen to that and then come back on the other side. So I think the key message here is that she is one of the toughest regulators um, of big tech in the world, is going from enforcement mode to regulation mode. And we talk about this all the time, Gilbert, is that a lot of the um, regulators are fighting yesterday's battles, right? They're trying to hold big tech accountable for things that they've already done. The Digital Market Act takes aim at the gatekeepers. And the aim there is to make sure that the market stays open, that they're not just, you know, fining for past offenses, but they're creating a new landscape that is more friendly to competition, which, of course, many people have criticized as well. They say that that could actually stifle innovation. But certain things like for Apple to comply with the DMA, the Digital Markets Act, it has to allow side loading in Europe. 
that's a huge, huge thing. That really cracks that gatekeeper walled garden status that has made it one of the, you know, <laughs> the most successful company in the world. Yeah, I think the, the important distinction that you're making is between fines, which are often viewed as sort of a slap on the wrist, um, you know, a speed bump, they're, they're you know, uh, half a percentage point of, you know, that quarter's revenue, right? They, they don't end mm-hmm. up having a, a large impact into actually going in and changing some of these businesses, uh, you know, business practices, right? There's the yeah. the um, the Digital Markets Markets Act. If you look at it, there's sort of certain criteria that uh, that you you hit to become what's so called a gatekeeper. And once you're a gatekeeper, then you have to um, you know allow uh, all these sort of yeah. business practices that make the way for smaller smaller companies and smaller platforms to be intero- mm-hmm. interoperable with your platform, to share data, to share advertising metrics and tools. Um, and so it really sort of like goes inside the business and is actually looking at like, hey, this, you know, this pop-up screen that you have can't look like that or can't include that mm-hmm. language. It's really sort of um, like micro, micro within the business's strategy. That's, that's the word that she used. And, you know, there's no <laughs> shortage of skepticism around this. And I can totally understand why, because um, regulators have been trying to change the actual business practices of big tech for years with with little success, right? That's the difference between fines and the actual changes. And I asked her sort of if, if things had changed, right? And she's, she definitely has a longer period in this role to draw from. She said, you know, in her meetings last week with these CEOs, she said, yeah, some of them were definitely paying some lip service. But in general, she said the atmosphere has changed a lot because she used this example of when she opened the first Google case and she was, you know, walking up the hill in Washington. She said that her reception was like, who is this woman? What is she doing? And now um, people understand what she's trying to do. And she also, you know, was very complimentary towards her U.S. counterparts, like the FTC's Lena Khan and DOJ's Jonathan Cantor, saying that they're extremely talented and experienced and, you know, it feels like there's more alignment between European and American regulators than there perhaps has been in the past. So it's an interesting time. And um, March 7th is when the DMA comes into effect. And I'm just as curious as everyone else to see if we're going to see some of these these practices really take place. Yeah, I think it's sort of also, do you want a government, you know, body sort of going to Apple and saying, hey, this, you know, this pop up can't look like that. Or, you know, this this window of this app can't look like that. It's, well, it's very side loading. The there's security concerns too, right? That's what Apple would argue is that they don't allow side loading and they have a closed ecosystem for a reason because they want to have strict control and make sure that there's no bad actors and that, you know, the security is better in their ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a total, it's a total uh, sort of like choose your own adventure. Like, do you want the like more mm-hmm. secure, the more like easy to use uh, closed system or do you want like a bit of a more free for all open, uh, you know, open system? So, Really interesting that we're talking about this today because the Supreme Court ruled today on the Apple Epic case, which was exactly all about Apple's role as a gatekeeper in yeah. the App Store. Apple basically being, you know, the gatekeeper for how we access all apps, which is and um, skimming you know, off a not insignificant percentage of their payments. Yeah, right. Sales. Having this like high margin profitable business that basically, you know, takes exactly a, a cut of the profits on all this app activity that happens on your on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever. Uh, so the Supreme Court today declined to hear the appeal of the Epic Apple, uh, sorry, excuse me, Epic Apple case. Um, I, it, there's sort of a lot like you can go into. Like their couple names. 
Mark. Yeah, Apple. yeah, yeah. Epic. If, if Epic, Epic and Apple were, were a couple. <laughs> Epic. Um, so, you know, I think you go into the weeds on this, but but for the majority of this case, Apple actually won. Um, but there were some small parts that Epic won, which is basically forcing Apple to cave on allowing different payment systems, um, you know, and certain mm-hmm. certain sort of small things like that. And both Apple and Epic uh, appealed this and the Supreme Court declined to hear the the whole thing. So, so, you know, for now, that chapter is is over. And things that seem small, like allowing different payment systems, they in the long run can be quite significant. We talked about Apple's not allowing, you know, the green or making Android messages turn up in the green bubble, right? Operate on a different system, not be part of that iMessage ecosystem. And it seems like a small thing, but you go back and you look at sort of emails that have been uncovered and different lawsuits and trials. And really, this is Apple sort of paranoid, but also... (laughs) successful way of keeping people within their ecosystem of making sure that parents don't buy their kids android phones um, that that this their dominance is entrenched in generations of iphone users um, another topic we talked about today mark was the sufficiency drive and layoffs we started the year with a bunch of layoffs at unity meta not meta sorry um google amazon and we today we got another round um, Google saying that it's planning to lay off hundreds of employees in ad sales. Um, you know, the TMT morning notes are talking about this. Bernstein called it the years of efficiency with an S. Right. So it's, it's not no just this one year, year where everyone had to. It's no longer the year <laughs> of efficiency. We're, going the, we're on the third or fourth year of efficiency at this point. And they've got to stay in shape. And what helps them stay in shape, the treadmill is now sort of generative AI, right? Making these workforces more productive. Um, There was a survey that was unveiled in Davos this week that revealed that a quarter of global CEOs expect generative AI to lead to headcount reductions. So as we talked about last week, the drive for efficiency and cost cutting has coincided now with the uptick in generative AI um, making workforces more efficient. Well, and, and, you know, the one we didn't talk about yet today is Duolingo, right? The, mm-hmm. the language learning app just came out and said that it's laying off staff because of, you know, its ability to outsource certain functions, certain repetitive, you know, translating function uh, to AI. I mean, they said they were laying off some of its contractors. I don't think these are like full time, yeah. you know, developer employees, but it's still really interesting to do a bunch of job cuts and blame it on, you know, basically I can just, I can replace right. this with an they AI made- contract. They made that correlation, which we have yet to see because, you know, Megacap doesn't typically give us too much insight into why exactly they're doing layoffs. Google says that it was just more of that streamlining that that we started previously as sort of this drive for more efficiency. But Duolingo came out and said the things that maybe said the quiet part out loud, that generative AI is replacing some of those contractors. And if you go back like a year ago, Gilbert, remember Duolingo was one of these companies. We did a piece on AI roadkill and a lot of sort of Wall Street analysts pointed to the Duolingo business model as one that could be rendered obsolete by generative AI. And I think it was, what was the education company as well? Um, The name is escaping me now. Um, Coursera? Where you get textbooks. No. uh, Okay, we'll find it. We'll put it in the notes. But the idea that generative AI was going to actually displace whole business models. But if you're a company that's nimble enough and can move quickly enough, like Duolingo. uh, and just Chegg, maybe? Chegg, thank you. It was was Chegg. Exactly. Jen Rosenzweig's company. He came out and made this argument as well, saying that, no, it's not going to render our business models, um, you know, 
it's not going to, it's not going to totally kill them. It's just going to make us more efficient. Duolingo is a good example of how they're already looking to do that. They're using generative AI to become more efficient and reduce hiring or even reduce their workforces altogether. I mean, you want to make a, you want to make a, a, a little bet right now. What do you think Chegg's stock has done in the last 12 months? Oh gosh, I don't know. Has it come it's, back? No, it's down 55%. Ooh. In the last year, so since we since we started talking about that, I mean, and that this is a this is a stock that peaked in, at like 113 in 2021, and is now trading at 11 dollars per share. So it's down, right? And so you know, it it hasn't come back. No, with some of that smaller tech that we have seen from the DocuSigns and the Zooms and the MongoDBs, yeah. etc. A lot of smaller, companies. you know, less profitable tech. Yeah, it has come back. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, and I think the 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 the. Duolingo one is is really interesting. I think the Google stuff is really interesting. I think it's it's where do we see sort of um, like leadership go and and what do we see these big companies do? Uh, I mean, obviously the big tech stuff it has like this big human cost, right? That you're seeing these thousands of of layoffs. But then there's Wall Street who sort of uh, you know cheers this on and says you know if Google can can uh, can make these cuts, you know they're looking around at other. Uh, big tech companies or just other companies and saying, hey, can you cut another, you know, thousand or two thousand employees? Well, and if Google's doing it, you know that the other mega caps are looking at their workforces and thinking, okay, how do we how do we continue this trend? So certainly, I mean, not hopefully because layoffs are always really, you know, terrible for the people who are being affected by them, but it feels like a trend that could continue. We'll be tracking all of it and hopefully getting ahead of it too, to see, see what might be in store. So tune in. We'll be back tomorrow. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.